everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. And now we're talking, Darian. Hello and welcome. Today is July 14th and today we have Griffin House, a singer and songwriter that I've had on my personal playlist for over 10 years. Uh, I love his music. I can't believe he lives in Darien now and that he's making time to come and talk to us. It, it's awesome. I definitely have never met anyone of Griffin's stature, much less interviewed uh, a star like this. Um, you know, we do this podcast, Taylor, for and about our community of Darien, Connecticut, um, and highlighting, you know, individuals, people, business, what what have you that are making this community great. Here is now a Darien resident who is making impact even beyond this zip code, um, but someone who is choosing to live here. Um, so that's why we're bringing him. We have the opportunity to bring him in because of this. Yeah, it's really great. So let's, let's get started. Griffin, I got to say, I'm a little starstruck. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you so much for taking this interview with us. Um, You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me for reaching out. Oh, we're, we're You're excited. my only friends in town. <laughs> I know, not for long. long to leave. Yeah, definitely not for not long. Not for long. Uh, yeah, um, I'm a little starstruck too. I'm psyched you're here. You're so uh, cool. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Do you yeah. get that a lot? Um, that what starstruck or yeah, or, both of us. Uh, people say uh, no, to you? not really. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. I think it's hilarious when. It's like once in a blue moon, I'll walk on a plane or something, and someone will ask me like, "Hey, do I know your music?" And that'll make me feel like you know my music's out there. Do you like? Does it make you feel good, or are you like, or no, is that annoying? It, no, it makes me feel good because um, I mean I'm pretty well aware of my place in the world, and it's all perspective. And so I I don't think too too much of myself. I don't think I'm, I'm I've been the music business can be a very humbling place to try to be around and and survive in, and so. You know, I've I've come to terms with that over the last fifteen years, and I'm happy to just be able to make records and play shows and and try to be as uh, content with just being myself as possible. So like you that. seem to have found that piece. I mean, I, I've watched your documentary, Rising Star. Yeah, and you know the honesty that you brought to that about you know how difficult it can it can be at times mm -hmm. um, was so refreshing. And like you know, just to find another human being that's willing to put that out there, like. Thank you. Oh, you're I welcome. Think you inspire a lot of people. Yeah. Well, for those who, do, who don't know about your documentary, can you tell us about that? And yeah, we did a documentary. Uh, I did a documentary with a filmmaker named Shane Drake, and uh, it's on Amazon Prime. And we recorded the film, I guess, uh, a couple years ago on the road. And we kind of just wanted to tell the story of what it was like to come into the music business for me 15 years ago, and um, kind of started with a bang a little bit, and and then. Uh, it's been just like a lot of hard work for 15 years and we kind of the film is called rising star ironically because i've been around for so long it's, like, <laughs> it's a very slow rise but um <laughs> yeah, but i you know i guess the film is funny because at the time it was a felt like a novel idea to tell a story from a little bit of an underdog perspective where we weren't necessarily trying to make me look as good as possible we actually filmed a lot of my shows that were probably some of the worst attended shows that i'd had like we didn't go to my sold out shows and and show some of the more su successful moments and then after we made the movie i'm like maybe we overdid it here and, and showed a side that was almost not completely true because we didn't include a lot of the the high points either but that was a decision that we made just to try to show the trials and tribulations of, of being on the road and, and trying to play music for a living and, and how, um, 
it can be a struggle sometimes. Well, did you go to college and then I did. So you went to college and then you, did you plan to become a musician? Not or? at all. No, I didn't. I, uh, I started in zoology and I tell this cool. story no in my way. show sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a kind of a, I was like the biology, um, helper for the, for the teacher in, in school. Cause I was the only kid that would like feed the snakes and stuff and clean the fish tanks. <laughs> Everybody else was like, scared. yeah, I was not that kid. No. <laughs> so we had a, we had this teacher, Mr. Weagle, and he was, a he had a farm in town and he was kind of the teacher. He was a big guy and everybody was kind of scared of him. And I was sort of determined to prove to Mr. Weagle that I was not afraid of him or anything else. And so <laughs> I would feed these, these rats to the pythons and stuff and clean the snake cages. And it was pretty intense work. This is in Ohio? It was in Ohio. And so. Springfield. Springfield, Ohio. I yeah. love it. My Have the shirt Buckeye. on. My fellow Buckeye. Yeah, you look good. Yes. I like it. The champion city, Springfield, <laughs> yeah. Ohio. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I guess I was, felt like I was good at biology thought I was going to work with animals or something. And then I picked up the guitar in college, joined a band. I got invited to be a singer in this band and I didn't have much experience doing that, but I was just trying to learn guitar at school. And I lived in an arts dorm with a bunch of other kids who were music majors or performance majors. And so I learned from them to play guitar while I was there Wow! and then um, changed my major several times. And then I finally changed to uh, creative writing and English literature. And um, I tell this story a lot at, at um, shows but i had this one teacher dr schloss and he's from manhattan actually and i really had no option after this degree other than being like a poetry professor that was like my only thing i, I didn't that was my only option i didn't think through it at all like what i was going to do <laughs> i just kind of was doing what i wanted to do at the time which was you know write poetry be in this band and um so i would have had to go to grad school that whole thing so it's like my last day of uh of class and he let me do a a little project instead of a term paper where I, um, I brought in a song and, and I played the song and it was like a poetry versus songwriting thing. And so I, I read the poem and then I played the song on the guitar. And afterwards he just looked at me and said, uh, yeah, I think I would do that instead of becoming a poetry professor. <laughs> so, so that's how I, that's how I kind of got the initial push. That is cool. To start, he was a funny guy. He would like read the onion to the class every day beforehand, and it was cool. So I had lots of great teachers at at Miami University that were um, really inspiring and empowering for just like going and doing what you want to do. And I'm glad that I didn't really think it through, and I just kind of followed my intuition and, and my heart and did what I wanted to do. So that's what we, that's good you're advice. Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Oh, you were. Yeah, that's where I went. Oh, and you were right. a golfer, right? I before I went there, I, yeah, I turned down a scholarship to OU. To go to Miami. Yeah. Yeah. That's no joke. Yeah, but I think it's, it's so interesting that, yeah, you pursued what you loved and obviously it, it paid off. Yeah. Right? And I think it's so neat that you're, I mean, do you write all your own music? I do. Yeah. And it's got like such a message. I mean, that's, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because it feels like, you know, whenever you go through something in your life, you find songs that really speak to you. You're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that person is touched. Like this is written for me. Mm. That's the kind of like impact your music has. It's like, it's an incredible story. It, it says things you're like, God, I never thought about it that way. Mm. Like, how does that come to you? I, I have no idea. I really don't know. <laughs> so you are touched. I, I was right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, it's something that's, uh, I don't feel like I am, you know, most days I, I'm full of self-doubt in terms of thinking that on, I couldn't, never write another song again. And then I look back, I'm like, look at it. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. pick up the guitar. And, you know, and then I'm reminded when I play shows that, oh, I guess I, you know, I guess this is what I do. And, but it's something that's easy to forget because it does feel, 
um, not not to sound hokey, but it does feel like it comes from a different dimension or it's some strange thing that comes down and drops in your lap, which is that can be that is humbling, too, as well, because you don't feel I don't really feel like I'm doing it. I feel like I'm just showing up and do, putting the work in to like allow it to happen. But I would never get arrogant enough to go, I can write an amazing song today. It's like, no, you can write a song and whether or not it's amazing or not, is not really up to you. It's, it's, it's whatever you get lucky enough to receive that day that, oh that just gosh. comes down. And that's kind of how they feel like these songs that come out of nowhere are just gifts, you know, and you're like just there writing them, writing them down. Holy cow. Do you write, you, do you do the <clears throat> instrumental as well? You write the words and the, the whole song? Yeah. Wow. Does it usually come melody first or words? I guess usually melody. It's rare that that you'll write a um, the words first. The other song you mentioned, I remember, I think was maybe one of the rare ones that started as a poem, and then I kind of fit the music to it. So that hardly ever happens. Tell us about that. I, I love that story. Uh, the, I remember oh, the I, song called "I Remember." Oh uh, uh, well, it's it's inspired by my grandfather uh, George Griffin, who was born in 1920 in Ohio, and he went to um, he went off to war in World War II. He was a veteran there. He was in the Hurricane Forest, and he was a medic in the 78th Lightning Division in the Army. And so he served there and came back with uh, with his life and the Bronze Star and used to tell my grandmother that you know, if, he, if he made it back, he'd start a family. So he came back and had four daughters, and my mom was one, obviously. And uh, so, yeah, he was just part of that greatest generation that didn't talk about the war very much, but he would... I, I tell people at my shows too. He would tell me as a kid that he shot Adolf Hitler's mustache off and kept it in his back pocket. So <laughs> that's so it was cute. funny. But he, you know, he was he told stories a lot of what it was like to grow up in that era and um, true true personal sacrifice for yeah. for country there. Yeah, but I think then it was almost like just what everybody the way that he tells it and the way that it seems. Um, is that everybody was like really unified around that cause. You know, it was, it was, he tells it as like, once we got bombed at Pearl Harbor, every, every guy just said, I'm yeah. going in, you know? Yeah. And, um, there wasn't a lot of like, didn't seem to be a lot of resistance or controversy about that. It was just like, we're going to stand up for, you know, the world and yeah. for our country and, and try to do the right thing for everyone. So I, I value that historical pers- perspective especially in um in these divided times that we're, we seem to be living in now i think it helps to have that historical reference point at least it helps me feel like i have some some center for where we come from and, and churchill where we're going yeah churchill said it beautifully uh, a country that forgets his past has no future right yeah that's exactly. kind of what you're dancing around so you wrote mm-hmm. a story you wrote uh, a song yeah i wrote a song um, inspired by him telling stories and um it came about because i was i saw this guy uh, this old man with a hat on that said uss arizona on it and so i started writing about him and um him i imagined what it was, his life was like you know if he was on that ship and then i started thinking about my grandfather telling the story so i sort of wove them together in a way that um told the perspective of of my grandfather like saying this is what it was like to fight in the war and here's where we are now and in modern day, you know, and, and war, you know, the wars really haven't been the same since then. It's been a really different story ever since world war two. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of questions that that song asked, but it's, it's been nice because I think 
depending on on how people want to hear it, it, it it is a little bit of a protest song for some people and then for some people it's a memorial to our veterans and, and it's kind of both yeah so, exactly it's yeah. not clearly on one side or the other yeah <laughs> um i was gonna ask did all your writing all your songs are all they all personal to your own personal story or you sometimes just make up stuff uh some sometimes i just make up stuff but they all they all come back to being probably influenced by my own personal experience so there's usually some element of autobiographical stuff going on in there even if it's not 100 percent autobiographical. it's like people kind of can make assumptions that because you're writing in the first person or saying I, that, that it's, you know, really about you, but that's not always the case. Well, I also listened to your podcast, the first episode talking about the song Amsterdam and you're like, actually, I've never been to Amsterdam. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, but it was a perfect, like you said, perfect analogy for, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of like the sins of the world and experiencing that. And like, right. Are you willing to talk about that journey for you? Yeah. I was just thinking about that, about that this morning. Um, I was doing a little journaling when I woke up and um, so I, I kind of grew up in the Presbyterian church, but we weren't really heavily in, involved in going to church. Like we went to maybe Christmas Eve and Palm Sunday, Easter, and then Sounds a funny. wedding or a funeral. <laughs> right, right, right. right, right. And then I had an interesting thing happen where I went away to school and to me it was just like this place where I could be anyone I wanted to be. Like I played golf sports up to that point, And then I said no to that path and went and lived in this arts dorm where my parents weren't around. Most of my old friends weren't around. I'm like, who am I? I don't know. I can be whoever I want, I guess. And I think that opened the door for a lot of me asking a lot of questions. And so I started to meet people who were um, involved in like a bunch of faith-based stuff, movements on on campus. And for whatever reason, I became really curious in that and uh, asked a lot of questions and hung around for a while and um, learned some stuff that I think some of it was good and some of it I'm still unlearning <laughs> today. It just seemed almost like interesting too, you know, I, I think I, I got perhaps a little a little indoctrinated uh, in certain ways that I that I see now may have that are at least I'm not going to say like unhealthy, but I would say definitely confusing in today's environment because I think a lot of the things that go along with our traditional faith that we've had for a long time seem to be really uh, really up in the air, and so it's hard to really find center in what it all means. So I was I was kind of grappling with that question a little bit this morning. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've been through definitely a, a time of exploration with asking all the existential questions and, you know, theology questions and those types of things. So I feel like we're walking the same path right now. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are, you know. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, yeah. is that the path of like a singer songwriter or is that just the path of a, you know, you know, 40 year old man? I, yeah. You know, I, I think both, you know. In these times, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think it's the time. The times for sure. What percentage of, of musicians write their own stuff? You know, I go out there like the popular musicians nowadays. You, I, mean, I must cringe for you to be on the same page as like a Justin Bieber, who we know that guy <laughs> is not doing any. I mean, so what percentage is back? So then, how many people are actually writing and singing well, their own stuff and performing? That's just another example of how fast things can change because 
you probably remember when shows like The Voice started to happen. Yeah. And I, my friends and I would just sit back and laugh. At that. Yeah. We'd just be like, what in the world? Like, they're turning a game show into artistry? Like, and then people, like, who would ever want to do that? And then it was like only a matter of ye- like a year or two where people that were just ordinary folks watching me sing with my guitar would be like, man, you should try to get on The Voice. I'm like, why would I ever want to do that? That's not what I do. What are you talking about? You don't get it. And it's like, well, I just, it blew my mind. Like how um, it just, we start like over, overnight people just lost, uh, seemed to, to trade artistry for commerce or yeah. um, substance for, for popularity or so, something like that. And um so yeah, that's the world that uh, we live in, and that and and in the music world, that's been you know doubly or triply <laughs> hard to navigate for yeah. sure. Well, yeah, I mean, how did you navigate? I mean, you talked about this. Like, how how did you even become as famous? I don't know if I want to use the word famous. I don't know how you even feel about that word. We could talk about it, but like, how did you even become successful? I think about that a lot. I think there's, um, I think there's real power in young people being naive enough to just completely 100% believe in their own visions and intuitions. And if they had an adult around them telling them about the odds or telling them about uh, what's smart to do. Um, Fortunately, I didn't have that many people interfering in my decision making, which was a blessing probably, um, just to not have anyone looking over my shoulder and saying, what are you doing? And I think my parents just, they saw me and they gave me the freedom to just do what I wanted to do, which is pretty cool. And um, there's also other things that w- that contributed to that. Like during my time in college, they were going through a divorce, so they weren't necessarily super present in some ways that they would have been otherwise. But um, but that all worked out, I think, pretty well. And so I think it just has to do with really believing in something and and setting your mind to it. And I, one thing that's interesting, I guess, is that. I had, it seemed to have that so naturally at at a young age in a way that as soon as I got a little bit of success, it almost went away overnight. It was like the insecurity crept in or the need for, for more recognition crept in. And then all of that genuine altruism or natural belief and desire was much harder to tap into after that. Well, can you tell us that story? So you're 22, you graduate college, you know, your parents just put up for this good education. Then you decide, Hey, I'm going to go sing and write. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. But, um, (laughs) but you found success early. What what was that? What did that look like? Well, that environment also fostered, uh, it fostered something for me to rebel against a little bit, you know, like I, I didn't necessarily fit into that environment and it was sort of the perfect recipe for Although I, you know, I was going to school and I was learning poetry and all these different subjects. I was learning things like critical thinking, which is, I was an international studies major for a while. And like, you know, speaking of the times, it's like one of the things that I learned at a liberal arts education, at least in my time, was not what to think, but how to think, which was think for yourself, think critically. And, um, you know, those international studies classes uh, that I took were invaluable to, to my mind being opened up. And I also... I studied abroad in Europe for a semester, and that opened my eyes to changing my perspective toward um, my worldview and the, America's place in that. And it made me see America from a different perspective, um, helped make me more artistic and um, independent, I suppose. And so, yeah, I, I graduated, had this degree, decided to give music a shot per recommendation of Dr. Schloss. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> 
and I just <laughs> thank you, know, you Dr. Schloss. I just went for it, um, and I, I moved to Philadelphia. I had a little lead on a production deal there that, that I just I followed. You know, I followed my nose down down that path, and that didn't really work out. And then I moved to Nashville um, to be with some friends who um, welcomed me there to just say, "Hey, why don't you come move down here? There's a lot of music stuff going on." Uh, we can live, you know, live together here and hang out. And that felt like a good move. So I went down there and I kind of just got lucky. I met some right people. I met some really talented uh, people that took me under their wing and helped me make some music. I made a demo. And then like the next thing I knew, one of my friends who was getting looked at by a major label in New York um, was sitting in her office one day at Island Def Jam Records. And uh, she goes, what are you listening to in Nashville? Like anything good down there? Tell me about the scene. And he had my demo in his in his backpack or my CD, and he put it on the counter. He's like, "Oh, this guy's awesome, and you should listen to it." And then I got a call from a major label like the next day. Holy so cow. just stuff like that. I'm like 25 years old. Or I something. was 23. Oh my yeah. gosh! And how soon after that were you on the CBS Morning Show? That like interview? A, probably a year later or a year and a half later. I, you know, I, I started getting some attention from these labels. I made a record. It came out on a, a record label called Network Management who, or Network Records, which is they also started managing me. And then I think within a year, I, I was touring and I was playing. Uh, that came about because I, I played a show at the Bowery Ballroom opening for Bruce Springsteen's wife, Patty Scalfa. And this guy, this author and music critic, Bill Flanagan, was there in the audience that night. And I knew him because... I had read his book that he wrote about U2 because I was a huge U2 fan. So he came up for me and bought a CD and I signed it for him and he gave me a card and it said Bill Flanagan on it. And I was like, wait, I know this guy. He wrote this book that I love. And so he um, he liked my music that night and then he did a feature on CBS Sunday Morning about um, kind of like the old style sing- singer-songwriters and like where are, where are they in today's world? And he said, well, there, there are a handful of them still doing it and here they are. And he listed he listed them off, and I was one, got to be one of them. So, kind of cool. Who was it he cited as? You know, he said you were similar to. Oh, he said that. I think he said uh, it reminds me of kind of a mix of uh, Wilco, Ryan Adams, and U two or something like that. Which <laughs> yeah. they were all definitely influences. So he kind of. Well, there's some of your songs that make me think of Dylan, like for sure, big influence um, on me and probably everybody else. But yeah, yeah, lots of people. I mean, that's quite a crowd. Did you? Um, I don't know much enough about the music industry to have an opinion about this, but your record label, were you grateful for your record label? Are you glad they picked you up? Do you wish it had been someone else? Have you stayed with them? Like, What is a record label's influence on a guy's career? Well, I think it was a really, it was a springboard into really getting out there and, and getting recognized and some really good things happened. And then we got to a certain point and I was really ambitious and I wanted to move forward fast i was like young guy ready to work hard and i was also really pretty prolific like i could have somebody would have said you can make as many records as you want this year i probably would have made three or four records a year and done that for several i was just writing so much you know and so um i never really found the the perfect symbiotic relationship that i was looking for to just like have somebody get behind me and and help um, push me as far as I wanted to go. So I've started to get frustrated in that role for sure. And so I, I ended up um, parting ways with my management company about seven years in. But it's the kind of thing where it's like, I'm super grateful for my time and uh, with them. And I think it was uh, it was probably good for everybody. It didn't turn out probably the way that we wanted it to. But um, I ended up just 
becoming, uh, I guess, as fate would have it, just much more independent uh, as, you know, at the end of the day. But I, I know guys that got signed to these huge labor label deals and then just got dropped. And then it was like their solo career, whatever, whatever else was done, they needed to go do something else. or their band was done. And, and so I feel lucky that after all this time, I'm still still doing it, you know, still playing shows, still touring around, still making records. You're and, touring a lot. Like, yeah. Is, and how do you decide, I mean, is it is it a temporary thing that you're touring a lot? It's got to be hard on you, hard on the family. You talk about that, but like, when do you come back and like create something new? That's a, that is a big balance. Um, it's hard to balance. And I've probably played over the last 10 years, what feels like to me not a ton of shows but probably for my family feels like a lot of shows you know i, I play about 80 shows a year and that keeps me pretty busy 80 and then, shows a year and to me that's probably, overwhelming I yeah. know. on top of your writing all the time like the mm-hmm. self-discipline this takes to mm-hmm. right to even right after i mean you're on tour but you'd come home and probably wouldn't do nothing for i do i go through i went through a huge uh i guess like the last three months i was writing a lot again and it felt really good i was feeling inspired and then we've had a lot going on this past couple months so the last, the last like several weeks i've just haven't been doing jack i've just been like <laughs> laying around like i don't know You're like sh- podcast i'll come on a podcast i'm not yeah. doing anything today i mean thanks for taking the time to, yeah. and, and talk to us about what your life is like in darien since you know this is now we're talking darien you're yeah. you're here how long have you been here tell us about your family why and why darien i'm so confused uh, yeah i love it but why well because my father-in-law um lives in this cabin down the street and we'd come up here and see him all the time and visit and uh so my wife is went to rye high school down the road yeah and our mother-in-law lives in um my mother-in-law her mom lives in larchmont so and we didn't have any family in nashville and um my folks are in ohio and i really wanted to be around some family and i started to get a little tired in nashville i'd been there for a long time and um things are changing really rapidly there just so many people moving to town it's not the same town anymore and i was just ready for ready for a new adventure so we had the opportunity to move up here and um he wanted to move he wanted to move out he had been trying to sell his house forever and almost sold it a couple times didn't quite happen and then uh we had the opportunity to sell our house and move up here which we were planning to do pre-covid and then Uh covid happened and we just kept moving forward with the plan. We sold our house in Nashville like during the pandemic. It was really weird. Crazy. It was very strange. And then we just had to, we had to pack up our house like in a flurry one day and just get out. It was crazy how it all happened. And we got in a, a, my van and drove up here and we were just like, see ya. I mean, it was just like no goodbye, really anything. It's just a life changed overnight. Your wife must be so cool. I mean, she, she's putting up with like, not putting up, sorry, but she, she like, you're on the road a lot. She's, you have two kids, you said, and now yeah. and she's packing up. I mean, where'd you find this woman? <laughs> I don't know. It fell in my lap like one of those songs, I guess. I got lucky that I was, that I was there. And uh, Did you guys meet in Nashville? We met in San Francisco through her cousin, Gail, who was a friend of mine um, before I met my wife, Jane. And so she introduced us and um i just saw something special in her the day i met her and and we uh i she drove me to the airport i think after my visit and i said something like i think we're supposed to know each other and she's like i don't date musicians so, <laughs> that made me have to work a little harder um, that is awesome. is she, really cool. um is she who you write about in a lot of your songs i mean probably probably uh i mean some are definitely specifically 
about her, but a lot of my songs were written way before I met her because uh-huh. we didn't meet until 2008, I think, and didn't. Then we we got together in 2009, and I was joking, say we went on like three long distance dates, and then got married. That's pretty much what happened. So it's meant to be. Yeah, we got married at City Hall in San Francisco. Cool. Yeah, it's a musician rap right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. That's right. Before you got to hit your next road show, let's get mm-hmm. this on the books. Pretty much. <laughs> and now you got two girls. Two little girls, Emma and Clara, nine and seven. Very cool. And, uh, and how are they liking living here? You know, they've they've made the transition pretty uh seamlessly i'm pretty proud of them they they haven't they never have done the complaining thing of like i miss nashville i mean now they just they're like oh this is my home i like it here it's cool good yeah it's really cute are they athletes like you are you know darren's a big athletic town they are both athletic uh emma's taking up lacrosse and i think clara wants to do ice hockey but she can't she has to learn how to skate first (laughs) there's a lot of there's there's sports that are you know not we don't have a lot of and didn't have a lot of in nashville and and not in ohio where i'm from so we're learning new stuff here but they're they're both athletic and i like that i just can't imagine how you how you say goodbye to go on a tour i mean how long are you gone at a time and how are the kids and i try to just be be gone for like one weekend one long weekend and then come home and I'll do that once a month or twice a month. And, and then once in a while, if it makes sense, I'll go out for like a 10-day run, maximum two weeks, and then come back, and then and then I'll be be back. So, But it gives me a lot of time to be here when I am here. Like, okay. I mean, like yesterday, I played tennis and basketball with him and Clara all day long, which is like, who gets to do that, you know? So and fun. I mean, I just that was what we did all day. And, and we hit some golf balls, too. So it was we just had a whole sports day on a rainy day and hung out together. So I get to do a lot of that too, even though I'm gone a lot. When I'm, when I'm home, I'm home. I'm glad to hear this good balance. Cause yeah. I- well, and, and tell me, not to like to jump back to this, but I do kind of want to circle back. You said like you came out of the gates hot with your career. And mm-hmm. then for a while it was almost like, a, a, I don't know, a flat road or you were in the trenches well, for a while. You what know, when you, you when you, there was definitely a feeling when I moved to Nashville where, there were not as many people there as there are now. And now it's just flooded with artists and bands. When I moved there, there was country music, there was Christian music, and then there were, there seemed to be a few bands and a, a few singer-songwriters, like literally a handful that were doing something other than that. And so it was easier to get noticed, I felt. And and I don't, I'm sure that's partially true. And then there was also just something about the time where um, you're new on the scene, you're the new kid in town, you make a splash and there's a buzz that happens. And then, um, like anything, you know, you're, you're like the new guy for a while and then you aren't. So you sort of have to capitalize on that, that moment. Mm. And so that's what we were trying to do. But then, you know, as time went by, it's like, I got signed to my deal. I got signed to my management deal. We made a record and then life moves on and other new kids move to town and, and you're not, you know, the new thing anymore. So it was a challenge to figure out like, okay, how do we keep the momentum going and keep people interested. And the music business was changing so fast at that time that the goal was sort of to sign a big record deal and get on a a major label and then hopefully, you know, ride the river to wherever, you know, you're supposed to go, uh, the glory train or whatever you're supposed to do. And that's just not the way that it, that it worked out. So I think for a while I felt like, Oh man, like I missed my, I missed my bus or, you know, what, what happened? I took a wrong turn. And 
now, like, especially after making this movie where we got to work a lot of that out, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that saved my life. Like, I don't, if that would have happened for me in that way, I either would have burned out, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, it would have been really unhealthy for me, I would have just become a jerk. <laughs> like, just, I wasn't really ready, you know, because I was so new at doing music and also so new to that world that um, it was like, not really who I was or where I came from. So I didn't really know how to handle all that stuff. It's like I was being asked to negotiate deals with these giant companies with like no one telling me what to do, how to market myself, how to present my myself um, to the world. It was just like I just had me in these songs and I was trying to do the best that I could with literally no one helping me, you know. So it's like I'm the the captain of my own ship. And I woke up one day and like realized that I was like, Oh my God, no one cares about you as much as you do. <laughs> so like, you have to, <laughs> yeah. you have to take responsibility for this. And that was, as soon as I realized that it was like the most scary thing in the world, but also the most empowering. And then that day, I think when I, that finally hit me, I just realized, Oh, I, I, I just have to take responsibility for this and figure out what I want to do. And, and go my, go my own way. And I think that's really just turned into something very simple for me, which is like, I try to be like the same person on stage writing songs as I am in, in real life. And that way I don't have to pretend I don't have to put anything on. I don't have to try to woo anybody. I can just try to be myself. And I mean, good luck figuring out who that is for anybody ever. Like, just be yourself. Simple. I don't yeah. know who I am. But right. at least, you know, I can at least be at ease. And, and whoever that is on a day-to-day basis, I don't have to try to to be something or anyone else. I can just kind of let it let it go. So, I loved watching you in the documentary, like, get up on stage and talk about how you, like, you really felt connected. You felt like your heart was in it. And, like, I, you know, I, I totally get it. I don't know how you do that on a regular basis. Like, are there nights mm-hmm. when you go out there and you're just like... I'm just not in it tonight or does it always yeah. happen? You said you get like cold and nervous and then you go oh, out there yeah. and it's like, boom. I never really want to play on the front end. And then afterwards, I'm always so happy that I did. And, and once I start, I'm, I feel completely in, in my element. And so it's a weird, it's one of those weird things. I guess we touch on this in the documentary where it's like, I don't, we often have this resistance toward doing the things that are that are best for us, but that's one of those that's just really strange because right. it, it continues to surprise me where I go, oh, I actually love doing this. It's just that it's hard, you know? It's like it takes a lot of energy, uh, mental energy, to step out there and, and be on for yeah. 90 minutes and, and not miss a beat, but it's it's really gratifying. I mean... Yeah, I'm, when I'm, you said it in the in the... Thing you said, it's my job to help other people try to shine in life, mm. not to try and outshine other people. Yeah. And then you also said, we all have something authentic to give. This just happens to be what I do. Mm. I thought that was so cool. Like you just, you clearly just go out there and it's like, you're, you're mm. meant to be there. Yeah. That was a nice moment in the movie. I think that that's really summed the whole thing up. So, um, is part of the rock star persona, um, this idea of a guy who's drinking doing drugs. Like, I don't, I don't know if you have a journey there, but like, I mean, I feel like that sometimes goes hand in hand with success in that world. Yeah, I mean, it used to be, I think it used to be, there was a mythology of, uh, you know, the harder time you were having in that world and the more tortured you seem to be, then the smarter and more talented you must also be. And I think we've, we've sort of exposed that 
fallacy now to where uh, it's just not not true. I mean, I think the more healthy you can be, the more well-rounded you can be. And and I yeah, I've had I've had my share of struggles with that, and it's a lifelong journey and process. But I I definitely I see that in my early years I was probably unconsciously emulating people that I in that mythology and thinking like, Oh, I have to follow this archetype to be the real deal. And now I realize, no, you can just, you get to blaze your own trail and there's, there's no one you need to follow other than, you know, your own, your own light, your own voice, you know, your own, your own internal um, guidance. So yeah, it's really cool. And you've clearly found like, you know how to explain it, right? Like I forget in sports what you call it, like, you know, out of body kind of like you're thinking outside your, you know, your rational brain, like you're operating in this, in this other zone that's, yeah. you know, true and pure and authentic. And like, I don't know, that's pretty awesome. Getting there. Very powerful. I feel like and, getting there. But I never thought about that, that, you know, that is in, in that industry, probably something that does drive people almost artificially to substance abuse, I would think. Yeah. Um, it's gotta For be sure. Tough. The one thing you'd said also in the documentary that really hit home was when you said, you know, now you know, I'm healthy again, but I, I felt for a while like I lost connection with my heart. Mm-hmm. But then you found it again. Like, how did that happen? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think through the process of, of doing the movie helped me see, it helped me verbalize things in a way that I saw, oh, these stories that I'm telling myself about myself aren't necessarily true. Like, I actually am, if I could go back and, like, rename the movie, it would have been, like, superstar like because and what that means to me is not not that there's a million people in the stadium but simply that like i feel good about myself and what i'm doing the end you know and that's the part that's like even the the title is a little bit self-deprecating you know and and uh i don't know it'd be it would have almost been funnier to say superstar with 30 people in at the pittsburgh show but and still believe that um and it feels more like that now but uh I don't know if I answered the question. I feel like I'm probably no, just I, going where, wherever uh, your your questions are reminding me of things that I've thought before. I'm trying to I, express. I, so no, I, yeah. I love it. I love being I in in this room with someone who's like so balanced and so like you, <laughs> you like found it. You found. It. I get off balance a lot too. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so you're right. You're writing right now. You said, "Are you were you just you came off a period of writing heavily, yeah, very inspired." I have a new album, like pretty much ready to to go and i'm i'm gonna i'm Can working on that slowly place? yeah i could play some for sure yeah like yeah i'd yes. love to hear something for it or like something like you know what, what do you like to play what do you like you know i have a lot of new songs that i've that i've been playing live and that's been fun and, and it helps keep the the new set interesting for me and not just feel like i'm playing the same old well, thing pick, pick your favorite I want to hear pick it. My favorite, yeah. Okay. Pick that, yeah, you want to play. And by the way, COVID. Did you get out there and play? Like you, you've said, you've been playing a lot, but yeah. like, is that just recently, or did you actually do like online concerts? I did a ton of online concerts in 2020 on a platform called Stage It, and that was where people can tune in and kind of buy a virtual ticket. And it, I think we always did pay what you want anyway, but people would tune in. It became like a weekly thing on a Friday night, and I probably did. 30 of those last year. And then I did some Facebook live shows too. And, you know, we do the thing where we just put the Venmo up in the PayPal and people could make donations and people were are super generous and it kept, it kept us going. It kept the vibes good. I could interact with the crowd. And one thing that was really nice about it is that people could 
they could respond in real time as I was playing. And then I could see the reactions where at, at a show, I can't see that, you know? Oh, so, sure. you know, I'd be in the middle of the song and I got good at like reading people's comments without getting too distracted. At first it was wow. too much information, but then I would be playing and I'd sing the song, I'd read their comment and I would, would be able to respond in real time. And that was really fun. Wow, well, that's when you take breaks and talk too. Like during yeah, the song. that's so fun. Yeah, for sure. So do that as well. So do you think you might, uh, keep up that format now and again like in the new age like that, that having that experience or, or now you're like no i'm done i gotta go back to life. <laughs> no i mean i think we'll do we'll do that again for special occasions it's just i put it down for a while because now we're now we're doing private shows again and real real shows and i'm trying to concentrate on writing and um sometimes there's not enough time in the day and now it's summertime and i've played most of my shows are over now for the summer i have one more in in boston coming up in a couple of weeks and then a couple of private shows. And then I'm pretty much done until September. And then I ramp up touring again. West coast, right? Yeah. West coast. Um, some other places, some Midwest shows like Chicago and Michigan and Wisconsin. So, um, yeah, I'm on, I'm in a little bit of a, a break zone right now. I've definitely hit a wall. I've worked pretty hard the last few months. Yeah, it's a good a time break. to be, you know, on a break here. It's yeah. A nice time of year. Yeah, it is. Well, that's a hard thing if you're your own boss. You got to set those boundaries where, like, and you can't be working all the time. You're going to burn out. So you have to, like, hopefully yeah, grant yourself that. I know. Break, right? I had to, I, I feel it's hard. I, I had to say no to a trip that I had scheduled um, recently. And, you know, it's hard to say no when you have opportunities to I'm happen sure. and you don't want to let people down. Or, But I've had to cancel a couple things just to take care of my own body. As long as, as long as you didn't say no to us. I know. Thanks yeah. for saying yes to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not a, well, I want to hear you play. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> sure. I know. Um, so I yes. should probably play, just for context, I'll probably play, I remember one because we talked about my grandfather and then yeah. I can play the one that I think you said was the guy that says goodbye to you is out of his mind. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. Yeah, we'll start playing. We'll talk. All right. This is. So this is the one about my grandfather and uh, or inspired by him, I should say. <laughs> My grandpa fought in World War II, my uncle fought in Nam. My father was too young, he went to school and met my mom. And her dad always told us stories around dinner time. And there's one he told when I was young that sticks out in my mind. He said ten years after daddy taught me about the birds and bees. I was stranded in Pearl Harbor fighting off the Japanese. When the kamikaze pilots came and dove in without warning I was on the Arizona on a warm December morning I remember when I was a younger man We were soldiers fighting in a foreign land Now I'm older and it's happening again It was hard to have forgiveness for the things they did that day And our president decided we should make their people pay 
So we dropped on Nagasaki and we cut them down to size And the one we dropped on Hiroshima left them vaporized And I heard some Christians saying what would Jesus do? What if you were on the wrong side? Would he point the gun at you? And they read through every word of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John So they could see if killing was the side that Christ was on I remember when I was a younger man We were soldiers fighting in a foreign land Now I'm older and it's happening again And they separate the church and state and Keep God out of schools So our governments can educate Based upon their rules But people start to wonder If our politics make sense When religion is our best excuse For national defense And when our citizens start saying That our wars are not okay and Washington keeps telling them God loves the USA And they teach us history so we can learn from our mistakes And this generation wants to know how many years it takes To change the way we treat our neighbors all across the land Cause if we don't change our hearts, we repeat the past again I remember when I was a younger man we were soldiers fighting in a foreign land Now I'm older and it's happening again My grandpa finished talking, we went walking, he and I I was thinking of the future and how scared I was to die Now my best friend's overseas, in the desert where it's dry Fighting for our country and I need a reason why I remember when he was a younger man now he's a soldier fighting in a foreign land now we're older god bring him home again When did you write that song? How long ago? Oh, I wrote that in about, let me think, 2006, probably. Wow. Yeah. It's funny, kind of. It, it, it's it's so relevant, like you know, with what's going on today and how Isn't the world that weird? feels. Yeah, I know it's odd. It feels like you could have wrote it, like you know, last month. It does. I know it's strange, and some of the lines um, pop out as uh, being more relevant now, even. But uh, it is strange that Prolific. it continues to be relevant in that way. Wow. So and I keep playing as, it. <laughs> I love hearing it on recordings and stuff. It's so much different in person. That's cool. Of course. Well, I, I have another question for you. You know, I mentioned earlier um, your 
I don't know if it's your most popular song. I, I, I feel like when I've mentioned your name, this is the song people mention, which is the guy that says goodbye to you. Yeah. Do you consider that your most popular song? For I think it just is. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it probably is. It certainly was the one that got us, um, got me more recognized, probably, and had more people start to know who I was and come to my shows. And there's another song called Better Than Love that yeah. I think now is almost surpassed it or something. So, yeah. And they're on the same album. But for some reason, a lot of people get married to the Better Than Love song, I think. So they're probably both about equal now, I'd say. Nice. Could you play one of those? For a- well, yeah. Actually, before I even have you play that, I have a question. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to ask a musician this. What is the relationship with like your most popular song, that song that kind of got gave you that fame, but do you still enjoy playing it oh absolutely i mean incredibly thankful that um i always sometimes i i play this song and i say i probably wouldn't even be here today if i hadn't written this because i probably wouldn't still be doing it i mean this song i think really did open the door for me to keep going and and have people come come to the shows and recognize my music and stuff so totally grateful for it always happy to play it and i'll play it for you now if you want thank you sure Well, you don't need to change a thing about you, babe I'm telling you from where I sit, you're one of a kind Relationships, I don't know why They never work out and they make you cry But the guy that says goodbye to you is out of his mind Well, I've been down and I need your help I've been feeling sorry for myself Don't hesitate to boost my confidence Well, I've been lost and I need direction I can use a little love protection What do you say, honey, come to my defense? I'd stand up for you if it's what you need And I can take a punch, I don't mind to bleed As long as afterwards you feel bad for me And you give me all of your attention I got deep desire and it needs quenching I think that's pretty plain for you to see Well enough about me and more about you Cause that'd be the gentlemanly thing to do I hope you like your men sweet and polite I thought I was done with telling you But I'm not nearly halfway through I got a few more things I'd like to say to you tonight to get ready You don't need to change A thing about you, babe I'm telling you From where I sit You're one of a kind Relationships, I don't know why They never work out And they make you cry But the guy that says goodbye to you Is out of his mind Out of his mind always did kind of drive me crazy and it pissed me off cause I let it phase me but I never wanted my time with you to end now I'm back in town for a day or two and mostly I came back just to see you I'm leaving now but I don't want to go you don't need to change 
a thing about you, babe I'm telling you, from where I sit, you're one of a kind Relationships, I don't know why They never work out and they make you cry But the guy that says goodbye to you is out of his mind You have such a gift <laughs> <It's insane. laughs> I'm, I'm speechless I know, yeah Thank you. Thank you. And, and a play. huge shout out to our friend Alicia Melberg for letting us know oh, that you moved yeah. to town. Thanks, Alicia. <laughs> and I thanks know. so much for doing uh, this yeah, with us. Yeah, my pleasure. So fun talking to you. It oh, it's great. So, yeah. It's so, so you're happy being in Darien and you're liking it. Are people welcoming yeah, you? Yeah, especially because I got a couple friends now. It's great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll make you yes, play you every do. time we see you. We'll just hang out. We'll, you know. Cool. Now I need to do a show in Darien. That's what we need to do. Oh, my God. Would you do that? Yeah. yeah oh, we got to get that organized. I know. Every summer, like, like it, there's always talk of a concert. God, you just throw a kegger at the cabin. Yeah, you need to. Yes. Now the filming's done of it, uh, this other right. Netflix series there. I know. Might as well uh, get it dirty all over again. <laughs> yeah, again, your wife's going to love this. She's yeah, going to roll exactly. with it. She's going to roll with it. <laughs> oh, um, do you want to do anything from your new album? I can if you want me to. It might be kind of cool to hear because those songs sure. that you just played are from. Yeah, they're from a while ago. Yeah, so it'd be nice to hear like your what you're working on, right? I'm not sure if I should do a funny one or a, you want to do a funny one or a serious one. I like funny. All right. I'll have this song called The Mississippi Hippie if you want to hear that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I like that. All right. goes like this. Somewhere in Mississippi is where my dad was born. He grew up on a farm milking cows and growing corn. And he met my mom at Woodstock back in 69. She grew up in Jackson, right across the county line And they had one thing in common They were hippies from Mississippi And they had a little house out on the Natchez Trace But mom, she got so fed up with feeling out of place That she spent the 1980s touring with the dead And when I asked her why she left us This is all she said Son, it's no fun being a hippie in Mississippi <laughs> So we moved into a commune and I never had a chance That's why I never had a date to any high school dance Although there was one girl who liked me I think her name was Julie She wore the same shirt every day And she smelled like patchouli And by the time we left for college I realized, oh my god I'm a hippie from Mississippi <laughs> Yeah, you gotta have your football if you're in the SEC But no one wants to have a hippie in their fraternity So I rooted for Alabama and even Ohio State Yeah, I cheered for any team that Mississippi hates And that made it just a little more tolerable To be a hippie in Mississippi I 
I'd move to San Francisco if I had that kind of cash. I'd drop the LSD and smoke some California hash. And I'd bet you anything I would find my true love there. She'd have a lily white dress and flowers in her hair. And I'd march right up to her and say, you'd go awfully nice with a hippie from Mississippi. Somewhere in Mississippi, I heard it on the news. Tiger Woods is in the clinic with the sex addiction blues. And I know it can't be easy being locked up in a room with no cell phone and no internet and nothing else to do. But if you think that's hard, Tiger, try being a hippie from Mississippi. That was written back in a while ago, so originally, and that's why the Tiger Woods reference, I wrote it for this thing and that's, we did for Esquire magazine. And then uh, I forgot all about it. Some guy kept requesting it on the online shows and I had to, he, I didn't have it, but he had it and he sent it to me on Instagram. So I re, rewrote it, finished it up and it'll probably be on my new album. So um, that's awesome. That is hilarious. Sorry, know. Tiger. It's so good. <laughs> it's like at times it's really heartwarming, then it's just really funny. <laughs> nice, nice work. Well, again, thank, thank you, you a million times. Thank you uh, for coming to do this. My pleasure. Thanks us. so much for having Thanks, me. Griff. Talk to you soon. Okay. I remember when I was a younger man. We were soldiers fighting in a foreign land. Now I'm And it's happening again When my grandpa finished talking we went walking, he and I I was thinking of the future And how scared I was to die Now my best friend's overseas In the desert where it's dry Fighting for our country And I need a reason why I remember When he was a younger man Now he's a soldier Fighting in a foreign land Now we're older God bring him home again